Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today is kind of like um, a bucket list moment for me. About a year ago, I started reading about this book called 13. And um, the premise is there is a big trial going on, a big murder trial, and the killer is on the jury. And I thought, I've got to read this book. I knew that the author was published in the UK first, so I tried to contact the publisher there to no avail. Um, and finally, uh, the work was published here in the United States by Flatiron Books. And I called the publicist and I said, I absolutely must have a copy of this book and I must please, please, please have an interview with the author. Well, that author, Steve Cavanaugh, is with me today. He happens to be on tour in the United States, 13 just released yesterday. Um, I'm thrilled to have international best-selling and highly awarded author Steve Cavanaugh with me today. Hi, Steve. Welcome to Authors on the Air. Hi, Pam. I, I'm just delighted um, to be doing this. So thanks very, very much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, I, I couldn't wait. Uh, you know, I've been pacing around waiting for this day to come. I have to tell you that I knew nothing about you. I knew nothing about your series. But the hook for this book took my breath away. It's unlike anything I'd ever heard of or seen before. And, and as I spoke to you in the green room, I read a lot of crime fiction every year. So I couldn't wait to get my hands on the book. And I had been hearing about it for so long. So when it arrived in my mail, I sat down that day and finished the book before I went to bed. Oh, to my say goodness. That, yeah, to say that it is a beast. A monster, a powerhouse of a book is probably understating it. As a matter of fact, um, I know you're friends with Michael Connolly, and he gave you a quote that said, a dead bang beast of a book that expertly combines Kavanaugh's authority on the law with an absolutely great thrill ride. Books this ingenious don't come along very often. I have to agree with Mike Connolly. They don't. Um, you, It's brilliant. It was so twisty that it was like being on a roller coaster ride at night. That's the only wow. way I can describe it. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you very yeah. much. This is great. I'm glad I did this now. <laughs> I'm glad you did too. <laughs> there, you know, having, if you're a thriller reader the way that I am, and I do read other genres, but if you are a crime fiction reader, um, there are very few books that surprise me because I read so much this one I, I just did not know what turn with it I, I, I had no ideas I couldn't even guess where it was happening and even though you led readers to the story and made them assume certain things when the truth was revealed I was I was slack jawed so so you know, I know that this is part of your Eddie Flynn series. Yeah. First of all, tell listeners who Eddie Flynn is, please. Well, Eddie Flynn is a uh, a trial lawyer in New York, and um, the uh, he used to be a con artist 
um, for a number of years before he fell into the law. And what the series explores is that there's not a great deal of difference between the two professions. Uh, and in actual fact, they complement each other um, because a good con artist is all about psychological manipulation um, and misdirection and persuasion. And those are all the same skills that a great trial lawyer has. So, um, yeah, he's just, he's um, he's one of these lawyers, he doesn't work in a high-powered office, um, and he works, you know, in a really small, dingy little office, and he sleeps in the back, and he represents kind of ordinary people. Um, but he occasionally gets these sort of big cases, um, whether he wants to take them or not, and he's he's quite a moral character, and he won't represent someone or try to get them off if he knows that they're guilty. Because he went down that road early in his career, and people got hurt, and it almost destroyed him. So he's kind of a character in search of redemption for that. You know, he wants to he wants to see justice done in spite of the justice system, and he quite often has to break um, more laws than he upholds in order for that to happen. So he's a really fun character to write, and I'm just delighted that readers... A lot of readers are coming to Eddie Flynn's series now because of 13. And what I'm yep. finding is they're reading that and then they're going back and reading the backlist and they're, they love Eddie Flynn. So I'm, I couldn't be happier with that. Now, I find it funny that you say that they're um, <laughs> that being a con man and a lawyer are, are, are very symbiotic <laughs> professions. Yeah. I, have, I have to laugh because my brother is also an attorney and I know you are as well. You're a civil attorney, are you not? Well, I uh, used to be. I quit. To. I quit my job about um, two months ago, three months ago now, oh, um, to write full time. Yeah, so I'm now a, I'm now a recovering lawyer. But, you are a recovering lawyer. <laughs> but I used I did I did civil law and I did criminal law. So I did, uh, I did my a, a my, my brother does corporate litigation, so it's a little bit more cut and dry. But I would imagine that. Um, that uh, I think it's kind of funny that you see the similarities between the two. Um, did you did anything in your law practice influence your writing, Steve? Oh yeah, a lot of it did. Um, I, I sort of came up with the idea for Eddie when I was cross-examining a witness once in a trial. Um, it was I wanted to catch the guy, the guy out in a lie. And I went really hard at him for 20 minutes, and I was quite fierce with him. And then I said, okay, well, let's talk about something else. And I said, let's change the subject. We'll talk about something else. And there was only really one killer question in the whole case. And I sort of, you know, I turned around and bent down as if to get something out of my bag while I asked the question. And this guy thought, okay, well, we're relaxed, and obviously this doesn't mean anything. He's not taking this seriously. And it caught him off guard, and he gave an immediate answer without thinking about it. And that was the whole case gone. That was, whole case was one. Wow. So, but wow. Like, that's not something you learn in law school. Um, no. There's, I, so I've I become quite a student of advocacy and great advocates. Um, so Clarence Darrow is an influence on the Eddie Flynn series and some other lawyers that I've worked with and probably my own cross-examination style. So I... What I what I love is books and TV shows and movies that sort of lift up the hood uh, and show you the engine and say, look, this is all how yes. all of this really works. Yes. And I love books like that. So I try to do that 
with my series, and it's not you know, but in an entertaining way. So the audience gets something really real and interesting out of it, but they're also entertained. So that's one of the things I like to do. Well, I have to tell you that you absolutely entertained with this book, and um, and so I will be back, you know, reading the other the others as well. Um, I read just um, recently the article in Salon with you and Adrian McKinty, who is also one of my favorites. Um, as a matter of fact, I requested the chain because I think that book is amazing too. It's a fantastic um, novel. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it probably is going to be. I'm really excited about it. Um, I found it interesting that you both um, were very, very inter- in, um, affected by the troubles in Northern Ireland. And you said you think you're desensitized to violence. Yeah, I think um, a lot of us are. It's not just me. There's Stuart Neville, who's another fantastic novel. Author, Stuart's you know, going to be on McGowan. right after you. Stuart's on right after you, yes. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> That's yes, brilliant. Well, lo- well, can I tell you now, Lost You, yes. the Hayland Beck book, is a fantastic book. It's wonderful. You have to get that. It's so I great. I have that. I have that. That's why I'm interviewing him. Oh, brilliant! You should, oh, you should hang around and call back in at, in at on the hour. That's when I can call back in and me. heckle him. You can. I will absolutely <laughs> put you on with him. Yes. No, no, we, I'll, I'll let him alone. But we're we're all no, no, friends. Come on. Yes, I know you are. You have this wonderful yeah. group of 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 writers who you have such um, an insight into a world that none of us has ever had to live through. Uh, you went through a civil war and a modern day civil war and things are still not really resolved. They're quiet, no. but not resolved. Is that true? They're quiet, but you know, they could bubble up, especially with the current political situation. Um, yeah. But it, it, the thing is you don't really, it's only when you look back at it now that you realize how crazy it all was. Really, you you don't really deal with it so much or understand a lot of it when you're when you're there. Or certainly, I didn't when I was younger. To me, that was just the way things were. You know, I didn't know anything any any different. Um, and then we're looking back in hindsight now. You think, my God, how, you know, how did you? How did we all remain sane going through all of that? But yes, well, I think desensitize. We I think not a people are desensitized to violence. Um, there was um, uh, an ad campaign run by the government and it was about to keep, keep for people for drivers to slow down it was an anti-speeding advertising campaign uh, on the tv and uh, they had all these psychologists and stuff who were testing the advertisement and they wanted readers to, or, or sorry viewers to watch the ad and go oh my goodness that's awful uh, but no more they didn't want to traumatize anyone but they wanted that kind of reaction and they tested the ad all across the UK before they ran it and everyone was like oh yeah they all had that reaction and, until they took it to Belfast and their first and they, I, I knew the and I knew the guy yeah. who ran the ad I talked to him at a conference and they showed it to an elderly couple from Northern Ireland and there was no reaction the wife just turned around to the husband and went oh bless isn't that awful but the, she wasn't yeah. affected by it at all. Sure. So, because she um, sees our, so much everything, Yeah, yeah. The, was, we are desensitized to, to a large extent. Um, and you think that you're you, – I may have misread this. Do you think 13 is a violent book? I don't think so. Um, there are – I mean, it deals with a serial killer. Right. But there's no – there's not there's nothing very graphic on the page, I don't think. Okay. 
No, um, there is. There's a lot of it left, kind of to the reader's imagination, and there's certainly nothing gory, I would say, in it, or overly gory. Well, that's true. That's um, true. There, so, there is no gore. Yeah, there's no gore. Uh, except for when he, except for when he breaks his own nose, and that kind of like, yes. I, you know, I was hanging on for dear life. I mean, when he did that, you know. Yes. Um, well, that, that I think that's fine. I, you know, I'm very much against, um, you know, having long violent scenes where some uh, yeah, a man is attacking a woman, and those yes. those scenes don't appear in any of my novels. No, this is um, true. Whereas if it's a character, and in this case the serial killer Joshua Kane, who is doing violence on his own body, I think that feeds into character. So it's not there just for shock value. This tells the reader a lot about this character very early on and what he's well, prepared to does. do and who he is. It does. And not only that, the layers that you peel away from him and why he's able to do that, not only psychologically, um, but but medically, why he can do that? It's it mm-hmm. was fascinating to me. Is this a condition that you knew about, or did you research this? Had you heard about it someplace else? I had heard about it someplace, and then I looked into it in more detail. But it seems to be there's a lot of a lot of uh, people in a certain part of Norway that have it, and this is a part of the country which is cut off from um, civilization for large parts of the year because of the weather. So it's a very small community and a very small gene pool. And there's this genetic condition called um, congenital analgesia where someone is born and they cannot feel pain. The pain receptors in their brain just don't work. So they have no idea what pain is. And it's usually it's it's found when a kid, you know, falls over or falls out of a train, breaks his arm or breaks his leg and has it is not in pain at all. And it's just kind of confused as to what's happening, and then it can be then it's diagnosed after that. So it's not it's it's it is a highly unusual condition, but there are lots yes. of people who haven't. It's um, a very it's, unusual. It's in it's the first time I've ever encountered that used in a, in a book, and and used so bloody effectively that um, it just explains so many things, and um, it, particularly as. You reached the story arc and all. It was brilliantly done. Um, I know that you're touring in Texas. So tell me what your reception has been like. Um, well, I, I did my first event last night at Murder by the Book, um, which is one mm-hmm. of my very favorite bookstores. I love it. Um, yep. McKenna, McKenna uh, um, and John have been great and have always looked after me. So I had a great time. Um, everyone was very receptive. We had a few laughs, told a few stories, signed a few books. So uh, And then we had some barbecue afterwards. So it was all great. It was oh, well, really you had the all-American all experience then in Texas, right? <laughs> I did, yeah. I, How I did. And the, the barbecue was like half a pig's face. Um, so wow. make sure and bring that up with Stuart Neville because he's had a bad experience with pig's faces. Um, and he'll be delighted to tell you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have you call in. You're going to call at um, oh, I know. I know. I'm not going to feel the interview. I'm not, no, you're no, going no, to. Well, you, can, you can tell I'll him. No, no, I'll put you in the green room with him, and you can kind of just bust his chops, and then and then we'll go from there. I won't tell him you've mentioned that to me, okay? No, you can surprise him. <laughs> um, do you enjoy going on tour and meeting not only readers, but going to the bookstores that are selling your books? 
I love it. I love. Um, I think um, bookstore owners, bookstore owners, and readers are just wonderful people. And uh, I've never had a bad experience. It's all been wonderful, and everyone's pleased to see you. And it's great, you know. Um, so I know I love it. The only thing is, I, I miss. I have a young family, so yes. you know, I do miss them. Um, a lot, so it can be it can be tough sometimes, particularly on a, on a lengthy tour like this. But you know, yeah. authors used to go on tour for like a month or two months. But, yes, they did. But about two weeks is, is as much as I can do, I think, uh, and be away from them. So, What's but I know I I really love it. I enjoy, I hugely enjoy it. That's funny. Um, I I would imagine being away from family is tough. For me, being away from you know my cats is tough. So I understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you have some really traditional favorite crime fiction writers. Yeah. Um, let's talk about them. Okay. Um, yeah, there's probably um, three writers that sort of got me writing. Um, uh, you know, I'm the, well, my reading was influenced and that uh, was influenced by Thomas Harris when I was around twelve. Mm-hmm. My mum gave me yes. a copy of Silence of the Lambs, which I loved. But the writers that got me writing were Lee Child and John Connolly and Michael Connolly. So I, I loved, loved, loved their books. But then when I found out Lee and John were um, were not in American, but, right. but were writing um, American crime fiction, John from Dublin in Ireland and Lee, you know, in Birmingham, I thought, well, you know, wonder is that possible? Can I do that? So that opened up, you know, some possibilities for me. And I think without them, I, I wouldn't have tried it. So had you thought about becoming a had you thought about becoming a writer um while because you were a reader? Yeah, well I I tried to when I was around 18 or 19 I wrote a few screenplays. I didn't think I could ever write a book because I thought you know there's no way I could sustain a story over 400 pages. Uh, a screenplay is only 100 pages. I thought maybe I have a better chance of doing that. And anyone who's written a screenplay will tell you exactly how naive that is. Um Right. It's it's desperately naive. So, but I I wrote a few screenplays. I got an agent, and I never um, sold anything, so I stopped. And then I just was a lawyer for um, the next fifteen or sixteen years after that. And it was only when I was about thirty. I'm forty two now. So it was only when I was about thirty five um, that my uh, my mum passed away quite suddenly, and she was the only person who ever encouraged me to write. And I thought, well, I'm going to try and do something because it was, you know, it was quite a shock when she when she when she died. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'm going to try and write a book that that she would enjoy. And that's why I, I tried started to write my my first novel, um, which did get published, um, but obviously too late. But it, it it helped me deal with all of that. I think. Um, well, so, so something good came out of that. It's interesting to me that you ch- that. Uh, being a lawyer and being a screenwriter or a scriptwriter um, both require an economy of words there, because you've got when you're writing a, a screenplay the the background is really of no consequence it, it is dialogue and action physical action and emotion yeah. that are driving your story and in in writing legal briefs you don't need to know the background again you you there is some background necessary but you have to be pretty succinct when you're writing a legal brief and when you're presenting a case yeah it seems you to do. me really good good prep to write a novel to 
to remember how many words you're using and to make sure there's always forward action in your book. Now in 13, and I'm assuming the other Eddie Flynn's are just like this because you've won so many awards for them. um, uh, It does not stop. There is no break in the action, whether it's um, the, the thoughts and, and the deeds of an individual or, two people on a page or three people or four, however many there are, it is, there's a constant forward motion. And it's not so much that I had to stop and take a breath as I didn't want to stop and take a breath. So perhaps your attempted screenwriting and, and your years of lawyering really helped you to be a, a, a very successful writer. I think so. I mean, I think if you're a lawyer, um, you have to learn how to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's what the job is about. You know, your client has a story. Um, the other your opponents will have a story, and whoever tells the best story wins. So yeah. I think that that does. I think that does help. Although sometimes you know lawyers get dragged into writing legal speak, and some of you know there are some lawyers that have have sent me letters and briefs. And I've had to phone them up and said, you know, "What on earth are you you written here? I have no clue what the hell this is." Um, it was all here to four, and I plead, and it's all you know, form. It's all right. total bullshit. Right. So, right. Uh, if you can wade past the layers of crap with a lawyer, you will get down to a good storyteller, and the, the best uh, lawyers I, are, I think. I think so too. I think so too. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about. You have two new books coming to the United States next year. Are they both standalone, or will this be the beginning of a of a new series, or standalone and another Eddie? What's happening? It will be a standalone and another Eddie Flynn. So the the, the so book exciting. that's out, I think around sort of February March is a standalone novel called Twisted, and uh, this came about because the, an author that is hugely influencing me at the moment is Patricia Highsmith. Yes. Which I came to late. Sarah Hillary, the English crime writer, um, yes. she recommended that I, I try Highsmith. And I'd seen some of the films, but I'd never read her. And, oh, my God, she just opened my eyes to something incredible, which I was totally missing. And I'm working my way through Highsmith's complete record. I love love her books. And there were all, all these books out at the time about, you know, Psychological fillers with uh, gripping yep. psychological fillers with a killer twist that you'll never see coming. Yes. And I love twists, uh, so I wanted to write a book about twists. So um, the novel is called Twisted, and it's about a best-selling crime writer called J.T. LeBeau who has sold 75 million copies of his novels across the world. Oh my goodness! And no one knows who he is. No one's seen him, no one's met him, uh, no one's any idea what he looks like. They know it's a man, and that's it. And part of the frenzy which feeds his novels is, well, no, you know, why is this person so secretive? Why does no one know who he is? Why does he hide from the limelight? And there are various conspiracy theories about who he really is. And uh, the story centers on a lady called Maria Cooper, who is um, in a new marriage that hasn't gone very well with her husband, Paul. She's in a quite an isolated um, place called Port Lonely, and she has started having an affair with another man. And then she finds uh, in her husband's desk drawer a bank statement uh, in the name of J.T. LeBeau with $20 million in the account. Oh, and oh. then we're off to the races. Now, the book, it'll have my name on the cover, 
I will say, Twisted by Steve Kavanagh. Um, the hook is murder was just the first twist. And uh, the first twist happens before the book starts. So the first twist is when you turn over the title page uh, and you open the novel, there's a fake title page. So it says, Twisted by J.T. LeBeau. And then there's a note from J.T. LeBeau. So the entire novel is written as if you're reading a J.T. LeBeau thriller. Oh, my gosh. So it's a book about an unreliable narrator written by an unreliable narrator. I love that because in in Amazon it says twisted. Don't let murder get in the way of a good story. So, That's right. That's um, the UK uh, tagline. The American one's going to be different because we're we're right. leaning into the more that because that this every really good twist that I could think of is in this book. Um, well, so I, had I a just, real, I had I a real just purchased the Kindle it. edition, so I'm I can't wait for the for the <laughs> American. You know, I'm like buying all your books right now. <laughs> oh, God bless you. <laughs> and then um, after that, the, the the new Yeti Flynn is called Fifty Fifty, uh-huh. and that starts with a nine one one call from a lady called Alexandra Avellino. She calls nine one one and says, "Oh my God, I've just found my father in his bedroom. He's been murdered. Um, my sister did it. I think she's still in the house and she has a knife. I've locked myself in the bathroom. Please get here quick." And then there's another nine one one call. Uh, my name is Sophia Avellino. I've just found my father murdered. My sister's killed him. I think she's still here, and she's got a knife. I'm running out of the house. Get here quick. Holy so moly. Both sisters are arrested for the father's murder, and both are put on trial at the same time on the same in, jury. In, oh. oh. So the prosecution are saying one of these, one or both of these women killed Frank Avellino, who's the former mayor of New York, um, and the jury has to decide which. Eddie's representing one sister, and there's a new character called Kate Brooks, who's representing the other sister, and she's a lot of fun to write. Uh, and she's gone through her own problems with her job and harassment from her boss, so she's a new character coming to the series, who, and she's very exciting. So there's th- three points of view in the book. There's Eddie, there's Kate, and the third point of view is simply known as she. And it's one of the sisters wow. who did kill the father, who did plan to be arrested with her sister and put on trial, but you don't know which sister it is. Wow. Wow, I can't wait. As soon as the, as soon as I see that someplace, you know I'm grabbing that one too, Steve. Oh well, look, we'll um, make sure and get we get arcs off to you as soon as possible. As soon as we got them ready, we'll get you. the first one. Pat. Oh, thank you, darling. Thank you. So I have one more thing I want to ask you because I know then you've got to go, and plus you're going to call me back in 15 minutes and talk to Stuart when he signs in <laughs> um, before we go live. Um, you are a big fan of fantasy. Yeah, I like fantasy stuff. Yeah. I, I, I try and read like... in, in all genres, you know. I don't just read crime. So well, do mostly I. read crime and thrillers. But I, if I get a really good fantasy novel or a really good literary novel or whatever, I'm 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 there for it. How, what have you? What blows you away? Who blows you away in fantasy? And what kind of stuff do you like to read? Well, I um, uh, Joe Abercrombie is great. Uh, his yep. novels are brilliant. Con Eagleton. Um, my big fantasy sort of hero that I could keep going back to uh, is David Gemmell. Love yes. David Gemmell's books, but I also yes. love Ursula Le Guin. Um, her books are amazing. Uh, Anne McCaffrey, 
So I read this, you know, I'll occasionally I'll say, okay, I really want a fantasy novel, so I'll just go and pick one off the shelf and and indulge myself. But no, David Gemmell is the the go-to one the for best. me because he yeah. he he wrote fantasy novels like thrillers; they're total page turners. I like George R. R. Martin too, you know. So yeah, I do That's too. Right. But I do enjoy and it. I I met him actually last year at Thriller Fest, so um, he's a very interesting guy. He's kind of like a, you know, a modern day job of the hut. I mean, you know, a little squat guy, but he's really nice. I like him a lot. Yeah, no, I've heard he, I've heard he's delightful. I've heard he's, he's delightful. very nice. He's very nice. I think he, he just kind of he says, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is a thriller conference. I go to, you know, Comic Con and science you know stuff <laughs> so he, he was really funny he's very honest so i appreciated that um uh one of my friends who is a writer in in the uk turned me on to naomi novik have you ever read anything by her no i haven't actually okay so she does kind of naomi novik she's a hugo mm-hmm. and nebula award winner and then also lee verdugo verdugo who wrote a book called six of crows and then the next part of that was um Crooked Kingdom, and they're they're supposed to be young adult books, but I was fascinated by her world building. You might you might like it too. Those are two of my favorites. But I have one whole bookcase can you know filled with certain kinds of science fiction and fantasy and you know urban punk things like that. I like all of that yeah. too. So um, I don't like space opera, so I'm not interested in that. I do like steampunk, although it's hard to find really good steampunk nowadays. So, it can be difficult, um, yeah. Yeah, it can be. Stuart, uh, Stephen, I am so glad that you and I talked. I'm thinking Stuart's coming up soon. I should just keep you here on the line with me. But <laughs> I want to give you a break, let you get some coffee or tea, and, and get ready for your event. This is Steve Cavanaugh. The book is 13. It is available now in brick and mortar and online stores. I cannot re- recommend this book highly enough. It will be my my uh, submission to the network's Book of the Year awards. I, I will be honest and say that right now. It is by far one of the best books I've read in years. So wow. um, and. And I read a lot of books. So I read, you know, four to five hundred books a year, and it was magnificent. I can't wait to meet you in London. I hope that you have a great rest of your tour, Steve. Is there anyone you want to give a shout out to? Um, I'll give a shout out to my wife Tracy, who's at home with there the kids, is- with with Noah and Chloe. So I hope they're doing okay. Noah and Chloe, ah, oh, how wonderful! I'm so glad you were here. Do you promise to come back? Absolutely. Yeah, anytime you like. I would love to see you. Thank you so much. It's been it's been a blast. It's been a blast. And I'm gonna go ahead and and get uh Stuart Neville on the line and if you wanna call in, call in. In in the next five minutes we should be on the on the uh line, okay? (laughs) Okay, that's good. I think I'll I'll think I'll let Stuart go on his own, but I wanna listen to that interview to see what he makes. (laughs) See what see if you're gonna ambush him. If I can troll okay. them from afar, that's good enough for well, me. Well, if you look on my page where I have your, where I put your, um, your show up, right above yours, he'll be the next one on there, and you'll see the link. Okay. Fantastic. That's brilliant, Pam. Thank you so much. Steve Kavanaugh, thank you so much. I, I have so enjoyed speaking to you, and have fun on your book tour. I will do. Thank you. All the best, Mary. You're, wel- you're welcome. Bye-bye. Thanks. And Bye-bye. thank you, Bye. listeners and readers, for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Thank you.